If you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by myself, Josh Miller. And Steven Scarlatta. Where we explore some of the greatest movies never made, like E.T. 2. Johnny Quest. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And Halloween 3D. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. You must learn to listen to the Rebel and the Rogue, or you will not be allowed to come with me to Alderaan. Need to make a call? Look for a police call box. That's where you'll find Two on Who, the new Doctor Who podcast from Electric Surge. Two on Who is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of the only gentleman secret agent with a license to kill and thrill, you should pick up my new James Bond oral history, Nobody Does It Better, available now in hardcover, audio, and digital wherever books are sold. Do you expect me to read? No, I expect you to buy it. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Dockerman, and we are the Inglorious Trek Experts. yes, indeed we are. Yes. And we are very happy to have, once again, joining us here on the virtual show via Zoom, uh, the great uh, writer for uh, Lore and Surrey with the Fringe on top, uh, Fringe, uh, Black Sales, is uh, Mr. Ashley Edward Miller. Welcome back, Ashley. Thank you for having me. Live long and <laughs> prosper. We're all trying our best. So um, <laughs> you're going to love this, guys. We've had some amazing. We've had some amazing guests on the show recently. We we've even you know had topical episodes like the Star Trek virus episode. But today we're going to top ourselves because we are doing a show, and it's not Seinfeld about nothing. You thought from the mailbag was like crazy. Well, we nailed that episode. So today we're doing an episode with no topic. We're just going to talk. We could call it a night at Lola's. We could call it um, a show about nothing. Um, we could it's, say, it's the podcast on the edge of forever. We, indeed. So we're just going to see how this works. This could be awful. Could be unlistenable. Right. We could drive away all our listeners. I don't know. Or I it really could don't. be the format for every following episode. It, it, we don't know yet. Exactly. If there's anything that we've learned, it's that we don't know what the audience is going to love. This is we, true. We don't. We don't. And who knows? Maybe we'll even read some more letters from the mail deck. <laughs> but, uh, dear which, dear Trexperts. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I actually did read the letters from the mail bag. Okay. And there's some interesting new reviews. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but I didn't know we'd be talking about it. But uh, one was talking about how um, it was a four-star review saying they love the show, but we don't, we, we were too in love with the original show and don't talk enough about the other iterations. So it was only four stars, which, you know, that's fine, but there are plenty of other shows to talk about everything else. You know, um, I think we what, talk about the other shows as much as we can. What we this can. reviewer says may be true, but we do not hear their words. <laughs> because look, yes, we talk about TOS. I think we about TNG quite a bit and it, it, you know if you don't think we talk about Deep Space Nine what show talks about Deep Space Nine as much as us? No show does. 
and certainly not with as much affection. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that that's, um, that's not right. Now, someone else gave us one or two stars and you're going to love this guys. Okay. It's oh, my, apparently it's my fault because oh, they said, they said they love the show, love the show, but they hate my anti-Trump ti- uh, uh, diatribe. Hmm. And so they're penalizing us for that. And to them, I say, I will never, ever stop. Okay. <laughs> I will never stop because to me, Star Trek is about a hopeful, optimistic future. I became an optimist. I believed in the future because of Star Trek. And Trump and his administration is the antithesis of everything I love about Star Trek, everything I believe. So we say, oh, leave, leave politics out of it. You can't leave politics out of life, okay? Uh, and unfortunately, we see that happening right now during this dreadful pandemic. And I'm not going to go on about this, but I will tell you that if you don't want to hear my diatribes about Trump, you should not listen to the show because I will continue to speak out as Walter Koenig did, as Anson did, as so many of our guests have. And, uh, and you know, I, I will continue to speak out as Walter Koenig. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I, you, you, have, you haven't pulled out the Walter Koenig in a while. That was a good this one. This is true. This is true. That's really good, man. Someone Everybody has one of those. So, what, did someone ask us, I think it was on the Rathacon, a thing we did the other day. They asked us about why Walter was unhappy with his post Star Trek two roles, I believe, or why he was always complaining. I, I, I think his complaining is entertaining. It's I, his I, way. I, it is his way. It's his way. It's his way. <laughs> yes, indeed. So um, anyway, we're continuing to talk about nothing. <laughs> it's not nothing, though. It's just not, it's not focused is what it isn't. It's not That's focused. I, I, I do want to say, um, have you guys been watching at all any Star Trek during the, um, I was going to say during the hiatus, during the quarantine? <laughs> during, during the world the, hiatus? It's a world, world hiatus, yeah. Have you been watching any Star Trek? Because, you know, I, I have, and I'll share with you what I've thought, um, but I'm curious if you guys have. I'm I'm making I'm making the uh, quarantine a quarantine from Star Trek as well. Oh, okay. I, Interesting. I, it it isn't on purpose. I just haven't had any time to. And uh, the only Star Trek I've watched is Star Trek Two, doing that uh, uh, live uh, uh, chat with you uh, the other night. I hear um, that. Uh, I hear it's a good movie. I hear it is. It, it's supposedly. Okay. Yeah. It's all right if you like that kind of thing. That's the one with Benedict Cumberbatch, right? Yeah, the one, right. the one that Scott Mance right. likes. So, <laughs> so I want to ask. I want to ask. Um, Ashley didn't answer that. Well, I, I, say, I want to ask Ashley if he's been watching any Star Trek. Uh, you know what? I, I haven't, but um, it has been on my mind lately that I want to figure out how to introduce my eldest boy to Star Trek. Um, you know, what episodes I want to show him, you know, what shows, you know, he should watch and, and he should see. I feel like I just, I just get this feeling that he is about ready, you know, but I also don't want to be, you know, that, that dad who's just, you know, pushing my childhood onto him. You know, he just, he discovered Star Wars and he discovered, um, you know, Godzilla movies and all that other stuff on his own. Here's the way but you do it. How do I do it? What do I show him? The way you do it. You don't show him anything. You start watching them. Good idea. And don't 
don't put any pressure on anything. Just and and he will come up and say, "Hey, is that is that that show that you were always talking about?" <laughs> so what Darren's really saying is, "Lure him in, play dead." That's right. <laughs> Lure him in. Cut okay. power. I, 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 I have a uh, I have a different answer. Um, hey Alexa, announce. Okay, hold on. What's the announcement? Hey Isaac, I need you to come up right away to the office. Can you come up here, please? It's very important. I'm in the middle of recording a podcast. I need your help. So, um, just so you know, all the people who are uh, listening and watching us with uh, with those devices, they have just gone off. So, just letting you. Know. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. That's, hey Alexa, that's, would you buy me a? <laughs> That's, that, uh, that's why you don't say the Apple equivalent of, hey, blah, blah, blah. Hey, Siri? You're a funny guy. Oh, shit. Sure. did it again. <laughs> I know. I didn't realize. I didn't realize. I didn't realize. Can I just tell you guys, if you really, if you want to activate her in a writer's room, uh, start dictating oh. beats to the board and say exterior, and okay. she will respond. Hold on. Isaac Altman is here. Um, and oh, I, we were talking about. Appeared out of nowhere. Like at the like, Iconian like, Gateway. Like that. So we were, we were talking about, <laughs> oh my God, Siri's going off. So we were talking about, um, here, let me unplug this. The, uh, you know, how, how to get kids interested in Star Trek, right? Um, Ashley was wondering, Darren had to, so now I want to talk to you briefly about, you know, because we, 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 you watched it, you were into the cage a little bit. You watched a, a bunch of the movies. You were into it briefly. Um, Tell me what you liked about it, what got you into it, and then why it's not like it's not like Star Wars to you, it's not Marvel MCU. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, as a kid getting into Star Trek? Okay, well, first I got into it because you're a fan of it, and we started watching it when I was younger. And um, I thought it was interesting. But it, a reason why I don't really feel like as much as Star Wars is just because, like, I don't know. I. It didn't, it just for some reason. Yeah, I saw Star, Star Wars first, and I, I just thought that was amazing. Right. And I, it, it kind of felt like nothing could top that. Right. Because you saw Star Wars before Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you watch Star Trek, you watch the original series. Now, what was interesting was you watched the movies first because you had gone... I had taken you to see at the New Beverly Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan, yeah, which you liked, yeah. And then you watched. I saw Wrath of Khan earlier before the New Beverly. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, okay. I saw a bunch of episodes before the New Beverly Wrath of Khan. I mean, I saw Star Trek Four first, and then I watched a lot of the Oof. episodes, and then I started. Then I saw Star Trek Two. Then I. Uh, okay. Yeah. I think the mistake we made was we was showing him Star Trek Four in first. order. Yeah. You wanted, you know, so we, we started watching it in order rather than me sort of cherry picking and curating the episodes. Yeah. So you got, there were a lot of episodes that weren't your cup of tea, like Mary and um, yeah. Charlie X. And maybe I should have really, because you had seen Arena because we'd gone to Vasquez Rocks and I yeah. showed you that. And Tribbles, I think you saw. Yeah, of course I've seen Tribbles. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. Who hasn't seen it? Right, exactly. John Kim. But, uh... But yeah, but the, your favorite episode is the cage, right? Uh, uh, I don't know. No, no, the cage. That yes, was your I know. I know. It's one of my favorites. Yes. Wait, what? Why did you like? He's the thought cage? more since then. Uh, I just liked uh Captain Pike, and I liked how it's like there are 
these other characters that like were it, like being Kirk's predecessor and mm-hmm. that being different. And then you watched a few of the animated, but you weren't into the animated show. Yeah, I saw Shore Leaf Part 2, but... Oh, yeah, Once Upon a Planet. Yeah, but I didn't Did, see much of the animated. Yeah, and then what about... You You didn't really have an interest in watching Next Generation, right? No. Even though Mom's a big Next Generation fan. It's not as good as the original. That's why I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, okay, well, listen, I'm so glad that you stopped by to share your thoughts about this. And, and you haven't seen the new movies, right? Uh, Dad, I live downstairs. So it's pretty easy to just walk up. Oh, yeah, I guess I, because we're not really in the studio. It's a virtual studio. We're actually. Um, do you guys have any questions for Isaac about this subject? I'm mainly fascinated with how Isaac seems to have the power to phase in and out of the space-time continuum. He's the traveler. I'm just sort of watching him go back <laughs> and forth. He appears. He disappears. It's like he's like Kirk in the Tholian web. <laughs> an interface. He never made it to Thilling Web because he only got partway through season one and then he saw a couple of episodes from season two like Tribbles and Doomsday Machine. Yeah. But he watched Doomsday Machine in a car. So that's not the best way to watch See, it. See, that's, that's the problem. Don't do that. Oh, yeah. yeah, don't. Oh, but you know what the first one you watched was? Savage Curtain because you were a big fan of Abraham Lincoln. So I said, oh, you got to watch the show with Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> That's how I got you into it. And then, um, uh, what about uh, because we also watched um, we watched Savage Curtain, and I feel like there was something else that oh, Sitting on the Edge of Forever because you were really into World War II. So I said, oh, you got to see this where they go back in time to the Great Depression. Yes, they went to Great Depression. That's right. Not Did you show them patterns of force. Bankers killed themselves. That's where you learned you learned bankers killed themselves. Yeah, like they would commit suicide. And Great Depression. Right, but that was not sitting on you forever. It wasn't. I don't think so. No, it was. Like, yeah, I think it was. Really? Yeah, but did you like you like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though it was a little romantic. Yeah. <laughs> Good episode, though. Yeah. Is this a kissing episode? <laughs> Girls. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, listen, uh, uh, Isaac. Thank you so much. This thank you, really Isaac. Awesome. Thank you, Isaac. And tell us. Bring you back for four thirty movie. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. Oh, I just got hit in the nose with the, the earphones. That's what happened. Okay. Earphones yeah, you know, were fair weather friends to Mark. What? You're sending him a message. Nothing. What, what, I, just, what I, I just said that earphones were fair weather friends to you. Yeah. Sometimes you know, they provide sound and wonderfulness, and sometimes they hit you in the face. The agonizer. Your agonizer, <laughs> please. Um, so I think what you hit on, Mark, there was uh, what I really need to do is curate what I am pretending to just sort of watch. Watch yourself, yes. Right. And I'll just have to make a list of episodes that I, when I was 10 years old, would have thought sucked or did think sucked when I was 10 years old or didn't mm-hmm. like as much because I don't think I thought any of them sucked, really. Right. Um, except Way to Eden. I always knew that sucked. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's the trick. So... No Miri, no Charlie X, no And the Children Shall Lead. And no Lieutenant yeah. Yaw. No <laughs> Lieutenant Yaw! <laughs> so, now let me ask you if that's really I funny. use that joke too much. That's, that's well, we repeat it ourselves. every time. <laughs> you can't that's help the beauty it. Of it. Uh, but, um, you know, it's interesting because I know that you've really gotten Caden in the Star Wars in a big way now. And, yes. Um, so, uh, you know, how did that come about? Because obviously Isaac 
is a huge Star Wars fan. He knows more about Star Wars than I do. I mean, it's insane. I mean, he can tell you every Jedi and every member of the council and every battle and every planet. And I don't know what the heck he's talking about. So, um, you know, I just know the prequels are terrible. So um, wh what is it, um, wh you know, what, what, how did you get Caden in the Star Wars and, and what, why does he like it so much? So I took him to see uh, The Force Awakens, which he really dug. It was like when he was six years old, he sat there, I swear, like every five minutes, he's like, are they going to find Luke Skywalker? Because, um, you know, I had, I had tried to start him watching Rebels before that, and he wasn't quite ready for it. It just didn't right. hit with him. Um, but since then, he's watched everything. The only movie he hasn't seen uh, is Revenge of the Sith. He just saw, he's only seen Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi despecialized. Uh, thanks to Darren um, for uh, for making sure all of that stuff was available. Uh, he, I asked him, you know, of those those three, what his favorite was, and uh, he said, "Oh, the original, Dad, I, definitely the original." Um, and uh, he loves Clone Wars. We we started watching that together. I want to say in December. We've watched it all the way through, and now we're totally caught up. And every week, and it just dawned on us this last week—if you know, spoiler alert—that uh, that the last four episodes appear to be happening concurrently with *Revenge of the Sith*, which simultaneously, yes. in my mind, makes *Revenge of the Sith* more Better. interesting and also yes. suck more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. I right. totally agree. No, I, I totally agree. Cut those parts out. <laughs> That's so funny you say that. It's funny because Isaac's doing a quarantine marathon. Uh, of uh, he's a huge Star Wars. He's seen it many times, but he's doing them in chronological order. So you know he started with um, Phantom Menace, and then he he's doing the entire Clone Wars run, and then doing Attack of the Clone, and then Revenge, threading Revenge of the Sith. No, it's Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Clone Wars, threading in um, uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith, the final Clone Wars, then going to the original trilogy. No, Rogue One, then the original trilogy, and. Uh, Oh, and Rebels is in there somewhere. Anyway, so he's doing them all through Mandalorian, but all chronological until Rise of Skywalker. And uh, it's just, it's a huge undertaking, but, uh, but at least it's keeping him happy in quarantine. It uh, is. So, you you, um, you, are, you are, are actually going to have some uh, Star Trek on your Star Trek podcast. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Okay. So, so, <laughs> so uh, you know, but you know, I'm, I I don't know how we got onto the subject, but it is interesting because I know we've been asked that, that in the past. You know, how do you introduce Star Trek to the next generation, to a younger generation? Now, my question to you, Ashley, I submit to you um, that your logic is flawed, and you are imperfect. And 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 because the thing is, will you show um, the original effects or the new effects? Will you do the streaming? which has the new uh, visual effects, or will you show it on Blu-ray with the original effects? Uh, I will show it on Blu-ray with the original effects. Great, great. I actually cherry-picked. Some I showed him with the new effects, and some I made him watch on Blu-ray with the original effects. Yeah, I just think that, you know, he's at this point, if it were like two or three years ago, I probably would have just done the, the new effects. At mm -hmm. this point, he's kind of gotten... How he responds to material always kind of amazes me, but I, I think he can discern, you know, why those effects look different, um, you know, why those original effects um, are just, they're not, you know, what he's grown used to watching Avengers Endgame, and, and I think he can look past that.
Yeah. Because yeah. honestly, I, the other thing is, frankly, it's, um, and we've talked about, suddenly we're talking about Star Wars again, but it's true. It's, um, whether you're talking about the Star Wars special editions or you're talking about the new effects on Star Trek, those effects now all feel dated again. Mm-hmm. You know, they just, they feel like, like whether it's Star Wars feels like, oh, it's a movie with crappy CGI. You know what I mean? And it's like, and I just feel like the, the, the Star Wars, the, uh, Star Trek, the new effects on those episodes feel a little bit the same, regardless of the intentions of everybody involved. Right. And look, we've covered on the show and we've, we've talked about why, you know, they were working under very difficult circumstances with very little money. But yeah, there's no question they're 15 years old and those effects have not dated well. I mean, some of the map paintings still look great, um, mm -hmm. but the, the new effects, you know, in many ways are as dated as what some would say the original effects are for a variety of reasons. Um, not because, not for lack of trying. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I think it's interesting because I will say that I think today's audience has a really difficult time looking at effects that aren't quote unquote, um, you know, state of the art, which is weird because when we were growing up, uh, you know, even in the in the shadow of Star Wars, we would be watching movies on the 430 movie and otherwise, like The Time Machine and where, where mm -hmm. Worlds Collide and Invasion of the Body Snap. And I never once thought, oh, that's really hokey, that's really cheesy, and how to take me out of the movie. The Incredible Shrinking Man. Like, mm -hmm. I love those movies. Yep. And it wasn't like I grew up in the 50s. I was not even, uh, you know, I didn't, I wasn't alive, obviously. Um, but it never, that stuff never bothered me. Uh, whereas I do, and I've said this before, I think, something like the end of Endgame, which is a movie I really love, um, when they're all thrown in front of a green screen and weren't even acting together, that to me feels fake. It does. That doesn't it feel real. Like dudes in front of the green screen. I'll, I'll tell you that here was the tell for me that I think um, that the things that are just entertaining on their own merits don't need the special effects to feel like they were done yesterday. Caden's uh, love of, um, of Godzilla movies. It's not just that he really digs, you know, all the modern Godzilla movies, because those Godzillas look really cool and there's some cool stuff in them, even when they don't totally work. I'm looking at you, Godzilla King of the Monsters. Um, but, you know, this was a kid who could lecture me on the Showa era and the Hisei era of Godzilla and would sit and just watch those. You know, um, and just it, that never like scanned for him that the special effects were never a question. It was always mm -hmm. just about the story and the fact that he effing loved Godzilla. From the mouth of babes. Yep. You call me a babe? I'm calling you a babe. <laughs> you a babe. But there's nothing personal. <laughs> um, well, I'm, you know, yeah, it's, I the, just, the thing is, I, you know, when I started watching Star Trek, it was all in black and white because that's all we had. We only had a black and white TV uh, set. And, you know, it looked like everything else, you know, because that's what I was used to. And when we got a color set, it was like, oh, my God, these are like brand new. But it, it, it's almost it's almost interesting to show them to show them to kids in black and white. I don't know. It, just to, to, to completely separate it from what they're what they're expecting from, you know, big entertainment, you know. I don't know. There, there, there is some kind of um, mindset that allows uh, interesting uh, stories to get in, and I don't, I don't know what that magic thing is. 
but mm. to just sort of get it past their uh, pre, uh, you know, their presuppositions. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I just showed, oh, sorry, Ashley. No, I, was no. say, I just showed my daughter the Twilight Zone for the first time this mm. week. And it was very hard for me to watch because the whole time I'm thinking, what is she thinking? Boy, this right. feels slow because, you know, I'm waiting to get to the twist. And, uh, and I'm just like, I couldn't, I couldn't tell if she liked it or, you know, what she thought. And at the end, she really liked it. And she said she wanted to watch more, which time enough at last. And, um, and I kind of, I couldn't tell if she was indulging me or if she really liked it. But I think she really liked it. And I want to show them more and see, because, of course, the Twilight Zone, in a way, even though I always like Star Trek better than the Twilight Zone, the Twilight Zone is almost a more significant show. It's almost more iconic in a sense. Um, and uh, I think, uh, unfortunately, it's a show that's even less well-known now. You know, it's one of the few shows from the 50s that people still remember that, you know, like I Love Lucy. But um, but yet, I feel like this new generation doesn't really know what it is, even though, you know, there have been 9,000 reboots. Right. Um, and I think it's Your important because America. it's such... It's such a literate show and it's such um but you know the thing about Twilight Zone is we all we remember the great ones, the right. great twists, right? But right. for every but great a lot episode, of, yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of them. There, there are a lot of let's just be honest, average ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, sort of sail by on just the quality of the execution yeah. versus the, the quality ones that of the aren't idea. necessarily that interesting. But yeah. that's fine. Absolutely. I mean, when you're making that much television, it's virtually impossible. I mean, people forget in the age of eight episode orders and 10 episode orders where every episode, I mean, look, let's, I mean, you look at this season, for instance, I think Darren and I would agree of um, something like Better Call Saul. Mm -hmm. Every episode this season and probably every episode of the show period has been brilliant, but that's a lot easier when you're doing eight to 10 episodes and you're in prep and have a writer's room going for, you know, a year before. Right. You know, as opposed to Serling, who's probably writing these things in a night or even those original Star Trek episodes where either Roddenberry would be rewriting a script the night before it's on the stage or Gene Kuhn is writing Day of the Dove in in a night. You know, it's it's the the machine does not stop. And then another show that I think we both loved eight episodes, Devs, which Mm -hmm. is uh, the Alex Garland show from the director of Ex Machina is phenomenal. I don't know if I actually saw it, but again, eight episodes. It. Had that been 24, 26, 30 episodes? Wouldn't have been able to play. No. Yeah. It would have been, yeah. It was like, um, you know, working on on Fringe, right? That, Jesus Christ, doing an episodic show, right? That uh, 22 episodes of that. And it's not just you know, the time, it's not just a racing production, it's 22 different concepts that you have to come up with um, that somehow have to work as drama. And sometimes whether they work or not, you have to make them work. I mean, the idea that, that any of it is any good at all is, is nothing short of a miracle. Whereas with, you know, 10 episodes, like on Black Sails, we could be a lot more artisanal. It took us, we started writing Um, The fourth season of that show, I want to say in the end of June of um, 2015, and we were writing through March of 2016 to do 10 episodes. Uh, How how many episodes a year were you doing of Andromeda? Uh, We were doing 22. Um, And I think Zach and I wrote like 
in the first three seasons, we wrote, my God, we wrote 21 episodes. And you had a really small staff. I Very mean, was, small staff. I mean, uh, Robert was, was running it. And then it was you guys and what, Joe? Rankemeyer and Matt Keeney. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and just uh, Ethelian Ver. I mean, it just, but it was, it was basically four writers, uh, writing entities per season on that right. thing. Um, but it was a lot. I mean, and we were banging out episodes sometimes just back to back. Um, and you just, you had to, you just had to. Did, when you were doing Andromeda, did Gene ever come up? Did anybody ever talk about, you know, we never really talked about, when we talked about Dylan Hunt on the Cushman episode in, you know, Planet Earth and Genesis 2. And, you know, um, Andromeda had Dylan Hunt because it was uh, supposedly based on a concept of Gene Roddenberry's um, uh, that's how Majel sold it. Um, just like Earth Final Conflict was supposedly based on something that Gene wrote. Hey, I found this napkin with this thing. Right. right. But uh, did was there ever any kind of conversation about Gene or Gene's original idea or anything like that? You know, not not outside the context of um, kind of the, the the big idea that something sort of makes something um, kind of a Roddenberry universe or make something feel like um gene roddenberry i mean there was there was nothing ever specific about like well you know gene's idea for the come on let's be serious um gene roddenberry you know had his name on that show and there were certainly elements that came from um gene's notes but you know in the writer's room it's like uh when robert wolf was was on Inglorious, we talked a little bit about how they would ask themselves, you know, what would Gene do? And they meant Gene Kuhn. We would have those conversations too. Um, so we tried to honor, you know, the sort of the Roddenberry ideal, sort of the Star Trek ideal, but kind of filter it through our own lens. So we talked about it in that context, but it was never like, gee, what would Roddenberry have wanted? Right. Right. Um, no, that's interesting. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny because like I'm dealing now our first season on Pandora was 13 episodes, but the second season, because of the way the, the summer was going to work out, we got a 10 episode order. And I can't tell you how much easier it is to do 10 versus 13, you know? So I can't imagine like these people who are doing eight episodes and then having, you know, these huge um, time in the room uh, to come up with those eight but you know, the, look, the result, I mean, the result is something like better call Saul, which is really transcendent. Uh, I mean, I would argue if, if it's not as good as um, Breaking Bad, it might be better um, wow. than Breaking Bad. I, 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 it depends what day you ask me. I mean, it's the same thing that I would say, you know, when you're, you know, sometimes I go back and forth about TNG and Deep Space Nine, like, which I like better. And I, I, I clearly think it's Deep Space Nine is the second best Star Trek show next to the original. But there are days, if you ask me, I would say next gen. Yeah, look, um, I certainly wouldn't take anything away from uh, from Next Gen. Um, we wouldn't have Deep Space Nine without it, frankly. I mean, and I, I don't think it would surprise anybody, you know, on certainly on this podcast or our listeners to to hear that Deep Space Nine is my second favorite. On some days, it's my favorite favorite. Uh, but it's just it's just a matter of taste. It's just a matter of the things that would appeal to me. One of the things that um, we used to talk about and debate a little bit on Andromeda was this whole idea of, um, you know, this, of the sort of the Roddenberry philosophy and, the, and, you know, the stories is allegory. And 
it's funny to me that most of the time those arguments would come from people who were actually weirdly less steeped in Star Trek. I mean, I do think that there are people, um, there are a certain segment of fandom who totally believes all that crap. Uh, and I say all that crap because I don't really believe it. I don't, I don't feel like the, like the strongest episodes of Star Trek were the ones that were over allegories. I, I, I think right. that the best stories are always allegories for the lives that we lead and, and things that are relatable and human. Um, but I, I don't think that, I, I think that, that when Gene would say, well, you know, we would just take issues of the day and, and we would create these episodes around them. That, that to me feels like marketing. That doesn't, that, that doesn't totally, feel like you're, I think you're absolutely right. It's mm -hmm. oversimplifying the process and making it uh, understandable by network uh, people at the yeah. time. Um, I think that, yeah, the, the, overly allegorical episodes, certainly of the original show, um, are a little bit on the nose, you know, and I mean, like let that your last battlefield. He's oh, black wow. on one side, white on the other. Yeah. I mean, the, but of course those are the ones that are always brought up and shown in the, you know, uh, newspaper articles or, you know, uh, internet articles. Um, but I think that w when it worked best was when it was really subtle. And when it was just sort of human interchange that was masked with, you know, aliens. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's where it was most effective because it was sneaking it in. You know, mm -hmm. that was the point, sneaking it in, not just putting a different hat on the alien of the week and calling them, you know, the bad guy or whatever and, and not understanding their point of view. Um, so it's, it's, it's all you know. Roddenberry was always marketing, whether it was to the audience or to the uh, to the uh, uh, studio or to the network or to even his own uh, his own crew. You know, yeah. it's so, funny because my favorite episodes are definitely not the allegories. You know, yeah, it's like you look at something like Doomsday Machine and it's Moby Dick in space. You know, you look at um, uh, City on the Forever, it's like a very tender love story. You look at um, Arena, you know, it's not an allegory, but it's you know, it's a a treatise about how you know we need to find understanding even between you know avowed enemies you know that sometimes you have to learn to see the other perspective um you know and and so i uh, i agree i think the allegories uh, um or something like private little war I'm, I'm obviously not a fan of and that is very much was an allegory for right. vietnam at the time uh so I, I would agree i think that that was a little bit of a um this whole idea of Star Trek being this brilliantly allegorical show is, is, is not necessarily, does not hold up to scrutiny. Right. Well, to, to wrap it to the back of the kids again, uh, I think maybe the, the reason why um, I, you know, I, I'm so, uh, I'm so kind of uptight about how to introduce Caden to the show is not just because I have like this, this affection for the show as a concept for the show. Um, but because in spite of what I just said, uh, you know, I, I do think that, um, that Star Trek is, is a deeply moral show, right? It's to me, what makes a Star Trek show, a Star Trek show is it is about people who are basically good, who believe in something better than themselves, who are forced to make difficult decisions about complicated situations where the stakes are high and the issues are not black and white. Mm -hmm. See, right. but you just made 
the argument that I was making at the beginning of the show when I said I can't divest politics from my love of Star Trek. What you just said is an indictment of conservatism. You know, it's why I love Star Trek and why, you know, I feel so aggrieved about the current administration because it goes against every, all the but, values that I cherish Mark, from Star but Trek. But Mark, you're not being subtle. No, but it's true. That's the difference. No. But see, the, the, that's what we're no. talking about. Uh, you know, let that be our last battlefield is, you know, basically putting a giant Trump sign on every character and saying he's bad, right? But, but look, look, I, I you think are, you're is, dealing with pure evil in this administration. It uh, is on, not, wait. there is no subtlety. But, but listen, I think that it's, it would be a very interesting episode if we were to take, you know, specifically the original series and looking at it from the viewpoint of uh, one side liberal, one side conservative, because I think that the, especially the original show speaks to both and can be argued from both sides. Well, I think that the, the more, the show at its heart is a progressive vision of the future. And Ashley just said it, it's about people who have empathy, it's about people that embrace science and people who don't fear the other. You know? Right, but Starfleet is a group of policemen going around giving our uh, method of living to, to the... Look, there's un- nothing un- wrong with American exceptionalism. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's a question of how you use that American exceptionalism. I agree. I you could absolutely... But that's not my point. That case. But look, that'd be great. <laughs> we should, you know, it's a good episode. We should get, you know, somebody... Uh, I'm like, but, you know, even, you know, from the National Review and get somebody from the New Republic and have them on the show. It'd be very interesting. It'd be very interesting. But I, I think that it goes back to, again, what that guy wrote. I think that uh, where, where Marina was uh, saying, oh, I don't think Star Trek is a show for people who are conservative. And I think, look, Star Trek is a show for everybody. But I do feel there's a certain degree of misinterpretation that goes on. But, you know, you can't say it's not a show for some. I agree. Um, I agree. Take something different from it. Um, But I think this show that we're on uh, is running out of time. Oh my God, you're right. (laughs) We did it, guys. We did it. We got through a show about nothing. Uh, I want to say good job. (laughs) Well done. Um, Ashley, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Always always a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Uh, Darren, great to have you. And I want to thank you, our audience particularly this week, for sticking with us for uh, Inglorious Trexperts. You can uh, listen to Inglorious Trexperts every Saturday on uh, Friday, repeats of the 4.30 movie. We're currently on hiatus, but you can catch The Rebel and the Rogue on Tuesday and Two on Who on Thursdays. And now this is very exciting. You can watch us. What? On, you can watch us on the on electric... Nanny cam. On, on Nanny Cam. They're in the house, but you can watch us on Electric Now. Now, Electric Now is now in your app store. You go to uh, Google, go to uh, Apple, go to Roku, go to Apple TV. You download, it's very simple. You download Electric Now and there's the linear channel. And then on demand are most episodes, video podcasts of Inglorious Trexperts and all your other favorite podcasts from the Electric Search Network. I think you're going to love it. Uh, I think, and I, I mean, you know, I don't enjoy watching us because I was there, but I think that I... I think that you might enjoy watching the video podcast at home. 
or at the very least having a a huge negative reaction as to this is nothing like I imagine these guys sounding like. (laughs) That's right. You can see the studio. You can see how we we had this big palatial studio and then it shrunk down. (laughs) And now it's nothing. Now it's completely, we live in VR and and virtual reality. (laughs) But anyway, I want, I want to thank you uh, for one, again joining us i want to thank bill ritter who's still uh working at home making us sound good or as good as he can make us sound via zoom we appreciate everything you do for us uh we want to thank natalie miscali our producer i want to thank our research assistant peter holstrom and zach raggetts who's helped with scheduling uh and uh of course dean devlin who makes it all possible uh so until next saturday keep on trekking and gloriously of course engage This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.